you are listening to Quality Time, a podcast designed to support Nebraskan providers through their journey with Step Up to Quality. I am your host, Colleen Schmidt. Get ready to listen as we prepare to elevate each other as we step up to quality. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. This is our grand finale of podcasts for season one. I am excited to be speaking today with Dr. Holly Hatton Bowers. Dr. Holly is a powerhouse in our field. I This is Holly, full disclosure, like this podcast recording that we're about to do. I have been looking forward to talking about this topic, and I'm so glad that you agreed to join. Um, So Holly knows a lot about self-care, and that's our topic for today. And she's really going to help us understand why it matters, what it is, maybe a little bit about what it's not, (laughs) and the messaging that we've been hearing about it lately in the field. But Holly, just to start us off, can you kind of give our listeners a little bit of information about yourself, like tell us a little bit about your journey and your background in working in education. Yes, so first I wanna say I'm really excited and passionate about this topic, Um, something that I also work on every day, self-care, and um, just really appreciate the opportunity to be here and have this conversation with you today. So thank you for the invitation. Um, And it's exciting to be the last one of the year, so. So thanks for that. Um, So I started my, I won't go into all the details, um, but starting my profession in early childhood education started in Davis, California and uh, started during graduate school. I had the opportunity to work in an early care education program that served families who were in um, receiving substance abuse treatment and also in child welfare services. And I had this incredible opportunity to help get grants through um, the Department of Education to build the program. And so through that process and through other really wonderful opportunities of graduate school at the University of California, Davis, I worked with different early care professionals, those that really have this passion to help others, to serve others, um, whether it's home visitors, childcare educators, teachers, and really started to see the importance of how well-being of the caregiver, the well-being of the helping professional is for young children's, you know, learning, development, and receiving that nurturing, nurturing and responsive care. So that really is what um, has driven me and my, my passion of how do we support well-being for children, for teachers, um, you know, for ourselves. And that's what brought me to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln in 2016, where I've had this incredible opportunity as an early childhood extension specialist and an assistant professor to really think about ways to um, promote well-being of young children and caregivers, such as teachers. I love that. You are on a mission. (laughs) Yes. I think, you know, I also want to learn about these strategies just for myself, right, as also as a helping professional and being passionate about that is knowing that in order for me to show up and be present and to really be with others in a teaching capacity, I have to also take care of my own wellness and my own health. Yes, that. That's why I've been so excited about this podcast, Holly, not only because you are going to be able to provide listeners with information about well-being, self-care, what that is, what that looks like. But for myself, I was like, I can't wait to talk with Holly because self-care is something that I like to talk about. 
And I, I do try to practice intentionally every day, but it's hard. And that's a reality for me. So I was really looking forward to being able to speak with you and say, hey, uh, lay this out in a way that I can understand what this is, maybe what it's not, how it works. So I really do, when I think back and reflect on my own teaching journey, uh, which was short-lived. My my career in the classroom was only eight years until I started going through major flames of burnout. And when I reflect back on, there was a variety of things that kind of led to mm-hmm. that exit. Um, and when I reflect back on what was missing, what the heck happened? Why am I not singing Dr. Jean on the carpet anymore? Like, <laughs> where did I go wrong? I know that a big part missing from my story was self-care. I did not have myself on the list. I know that a lot of our listeners um, listening can relate to that, where we care for everyone around us, our our families, our pets, our neighbors, the children and families in our care. And then we forget about ourselves and putting ourselves on the list. So Holly, talk to our listeners about, first of all, what is self-care? And second, what is it not? Yeah, so first I want to acknowledge that many teachers, you know, from an infant, toddler, preschool teacher, caregiver, um, through K through 12, since the pandemic have experienced this increased emotional exhaustion and burnout. There's been constant uncertainty, ambiguity, lots of changes, um, not having as much support um, through these changes and having to pivot. So through that, it's not surprising that now we're in this space where people are saying, um, someone called it change fatigue mm. um, or the sense of feeling fatigued all the time. You know, I just don't have this enjoyment of this, this personal accomplishment and enjoyment of being with the children, being that teacher, because it's so exhausting from all of these changes. And so I think it's important to acknowledge that. And when we talk about self-care, we have to think about how it's not um, a quick fix, right? And it's become this way that we have, sometimes it's become commercialized. So it's, you know, buy this and then maybe you'll feel better for the moment. Um, And maybe this will get rid of your stress, you know? So make sure that you as a teacher take that vacation, acknowledge, you know, not realizing that many teachers don't have breaks and they don't have vacation. So sometimes what we're told to do is really just um, amplifying this idea that self-care will fix what's happening. Um, And so I think it's really important today that the message is self-care is important and there are things that you can do to take care of yourself and promote your self-care. And it also requires a lot of systems change, right? To really promote some of that burnout and exhaustion um, that's happening currently. And I think what's less talked about is that self-care is not always easy to practice every day. So sometimes, um, you know, taking that jog because you want to be physically healthy and that's something that you're committed to, when you start that jog, it might not really feel easy or it might not feel great, you know, during the process. So it's really acknowledging the fact that sometimes self-care is not easy uh, for various reasons. And so that's, I think, something that we need to talk about more and how to make it a priority. And I also want to just take a moment to share that there is a definition of self-care that is not about getting spa day, which some people might really appreciate. And if you do spas and it feels good, that's great. 
um, but that's probably not happening every single day at the daily practice. So when we think about the definition from the World Health Organization, they define self-care as the ability of individuals, families, and communities to promote health, prevent disease, maintain health, and to cope with illness and disability with or without the support of a healthcare provider. That definition I think is important. If you just pause with what it's saying is that it's about the individual, it's the families, and it's the communities. And often with self, because it has the self in it for self-care, it becomes this idea of it's all on me to do. Um, and so I think it's important to also highlight that we have this element of community, which is really important for supporting self-care. So in essence, self-care is really about prioritizing what you need to be healthy and feel like a whole person. And it's very individual and it's about discovering and then practicing routines that help you feel your best. And this is feeling your best, you know, mentally, physically, and emotionally. So if you just pause to think about that, what do I need to feel my best? every single day? What are the practices that I'm going to do to feel my best? That's really what self-care is. And I think it's varied every day too, at least for, for me, like certain days I need different things. Like certain days it's better for me to be around others and recharge socially and other days, not so much. I, it's, I know that I need to just be alone or have a moment alone um, away from family and kids and all those things. And Holly, what you said about, gosh, <laughs> the word self in there and how that makes it feel like it's all on us and it's mm -hmm. all on me. And you're saying that's not so much totally what it is. It really is more about what do you do to take care of yourself, but there are also supports for you that can help you reach that level. Like it doesn't have to be this isolation kind of thing. And that's an aha for me. Just you saying that I'm like, ah, because when I do talk to teachers right now, I like to talk the self-care talk. I love to tell all the teachers here, here's what it is. And it's different for everyone. And it, it, like you said, it's not always easy. It doesn't always feel great, but I was talking to a friend the other day. She's a teacher in the infant room. Uh, she loves her babies, loves her jobs, but change fatigue is real. Lots of challenges over the last few years, for sure. And she said, Colleen, when I hear that I need self-care and in order to be an effective teacher, I need self-care. And then I don't have self-care. It feels like one more thing in my life that I'm failing at for my job or just for myself in general and that hit home when she said that to me. I felt like, man, our messaging to teachers is really important right now. So this like cookie cutter idea of self-care and hey, it's been hard and we have change fatigue and burnout and uh, staffing issues, but self-care, like talk, talk to us a little bit about that. Maybe even give us some real world strategies of what it can look like. So we don't always feel like if it's that I'm juggling all the balls in the air and I drop, which I often do, I try not to, but certain days I drop self-care and then I'm like a crazy beast, mad, angry because I'm not caring for myself. 
but if I drop that ball, what, what do you suggest I do then? Like, what is this all about? This feeling of, Ugh, if I'm not doing it, I feel like I'm failing. Yeah, so I heard my colleague once say um, that self-care, there's this weaponization of self-care right now. Um, and it can kind of be used where it's, if you aren't an effective teacher, for example, so that might be because you're not taking care of yourself and you don't know how to deal with stress effectively. I think this idea is that it's on the individual to completely take care of their self-care, especially in the classroom. And so figure out how to manage the challenging behavior of the children, figure out how to manage your stress, start eating better. You, there's high depression, there's high stress among teachers. So start taking care of yourself. And, and that's what needs to happen right now to be the effective teacher. And I think it's unfortunate that that message is, you know, sent that way and perceived that way, because I think it's part of it is that, yes, you do have some control um, over your self-care. And so I think that's important is that you should feel empowered to say my self-care is important and there's things that I can do. And also there needs to be, as I say, systems or even having, if you work at a center, making sure that there's leadership, administrative support to be able to use the bathroom. Yeah. If I'm drinking water all day, I need to be able to use the bathroom. You know, they're, they're finding increased rates of urinary tract infection among teachers, um, having um, different, you know, back aches or problems happening because the furniture isn't the right size. So I think there are things that need to happen um, in programs and identifying what those supports are to say, if this is what I'm identifying as what I need is a break during the day to take care of my self-care, even for five minutes, um, I want to eat healthy, then the, the center needs to also be supporting that. Yeah. If that makes sense. Administration has to be a part of that. And that's what I mean by community or being able to reach out and say, I need help. I need support. This, it, that can be self-care. So it doesn't have to feel so, um, so alone. And so, you know, so like I'm failing and I'm not doing it right. And it's okay to say, we all need support. We all need help and making sure we're promoting our health and wellness. Yeah. And I even think about being kind to yourself. So I, <laughs> I do drop the self-care ball sometimes and feel like, mm, why am I feeling stressed and angry? And why am I such a nightmare to be around right now with my, <laughs> my poor family? They're like, gosh. And then I reflect and say, I did not really drink water today. I didn't do anything to sit by myself and recharge, which recharges me, not everyone, but that, that is good for me. Um, and then I think about that and then I just have to forgive myself and say, it's okay. <laughs> like having that sense of, okay, here's where today was, tomorrow is another day mentality helps me to get back on track with being more intentional about thinking about how do I take care of myself? I love what you mentioned about being able to use the restroom when you're teaching or even being able to eat your lunch like a human. When I eat with my family, I'm the first one done. And they're always like, mom, you eat so fast. And I'm like, <laughs> I never lost that, <laughs> that strategy of having, so wolf. Funny. oh gosh, like I can wolf it down. And that's not, if I think about self-care and even my body and how it handles eating food, like <laughs> my poor digestive system and that of teachers, I bet there's a study on that too. We can really, we could win some contests. Like we can eat fast. So I think being able to just 
recognize daily where I am and think about what can I do? Because it's not always fun. Like I went to the dentist last week. That's self-care. I don't want to go to the dentist, but I went because I know that that's going to keep me healthy and prevent problems and all those kind of things. So I love that you're mentioning community with thinking about how do we reach out when we need something? How do we um, support each other? And as a leader too, I know that leaders have a different set of challenges like center directors, okay. owners of their own business, um, family providers who are sometimes isolated alone at, at home with just children all day. Like really thinking about what, what is it that I need? How do I ask for it? and what works for, for me. Um, I wanna talk about guilt. Can we talk about guilt a little bit with that? And then I wanna hear everything you're gonna say and then I'll be quiet. Um, yeah, so no, we can definitely talk about the guilt and the not feeling like you're not doing it well, right? Like yeah, I can't do the self-care well. Let's talk about both those things. So for one with the guilt piece and I, I'm getting better about recognizing when I have that feeling of guilt when I'm doing self-care. So let's just use a silly example. Like, let's say um, we have kiddos at home that are young at my house right now. We have four of them and it's dinner time and I'm stressed and I'm feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my marbles if I don't take a little like breather or break. And I decide to go for a walk during dinner and I leave them home all by themselves with the 14 year old in charge to eat dinner alone. And I'm going to go for a walk. And on that walk, while I'm going, I'm constantly thinking about the mama guilt and leaving them home alone. And I should really be more present and with them and da da da. So then I don't feel worthy of the self care. So then it doesn't really feel like self care. It almost feels like that entire time I'm walking and thinking about whatever it is that I'm not dealing with at that moment, I have that sense of guilt. And so I feel like self-care might be connected also to self-love and mm -hmm. self-worth. So talk to us about that. Am I on the right track with that? Like is self-care, self-love and talk to us about guilt and feeling like we're failing. Yeah, so I think you bring up the the point of that we need to have self-compassion, which is really important for health and wellness. Even they've done lots of studies on self-compassion, which is the idea that in a moment that's really difficult or challenging, like I'm going on a walk and now I feel guilty that I'm not spending that time with my children at home. Um, this could be time I could be with them, right? Is to notice that and just acknowledge that feeling of, okay, I'm feeling guilty right now. This is really hard. And then having some kindness to yourself, like this, this is hard and I can be kind to myself. I'm doing this for myself so that I can be healthy and I can be, you know, maybe recharged. I, you know, that's important so that I can be even more present when I get home, right. And acknowledging and having some kindness to yourself. And then the other part of it, I think that can be helpful is saying, I'm not alone. There's other people who also experience this same um, feeling, right? They have these same feelings around prioritizing health and wellness. And it's so easy for us, I think, to let go of our health. And at least for me, sometimes the first thing that I let go of is, oh, I have something that came up at work or this happened. And so I'm going to prioritize that and let my priority of going for that walk today 
I'm just going to let that go and not do it. Right. Because you don't want to have that sense of guilt. So I think it's really about having, um, and Kristen Neff is a researcher who studies self-compassion and that's been national, internationally, you know, um, looked at. And even in my own research, we find that self-compassion actually is one of the strongest uh, correlations or being related to mental health and physical health reports of well-being. So there really is something, um, and even actually to physiological stress. So my heart rate and thinking about like, oh, I'm really, really stressed right now. My heart rate is up. If I practice self-compassion, we're finding an association that it lowers that stress. So there is this, this activity of even having that short moment of self-compassion can be immensely helpful um, to help your health and wellness. And I think to also support you to say, no, I prioritize my health and wellness. This is important because I want to be even more uh, engaged. I want to be healthy. Um, I think what happens sometimes when we don't prioritize our health and wellness um, and we kind of let that guilt, which is so normal. I even experience that sometimes um, because I'm like, my daughter really needs me right now. I'm going to stay home. Or I have a student who says, I really need to talk to you. And so I let go of, of the priority of maybe I'm going to do that 30 minute walk. And what I have found is that my body and my mind will tell me you need to start prioritizing your health and wellness because now you're sick. And yeah. now you're very stressed. And I have been sick so many times this year just from, I think, letting go of some of those health practices, you know, that are so important and having a cold more often. There might be other reasons too with that, but I think it is the stress of not prioritizing health and wellness. But I think it's important to have that, that um, self-compassion and that the self and self-care is really not selfish. And mm-hmm. something I always ask people is, you know, Colleen, if you're going on that walk, what are you going to say to a friend who calls you and says, I feel really guilty right now that I'm taking this walk because I want to recharge. Like, what would you say to your friend? Oh, I'd say, oh girl, it's so good for you to go for a walk. The kids are fine. It's one dinner, no big deal. Good for you. You stop that. Isn't that the truth, Holly, how we talk to ourselves and what Mm -hmm. our inner voice tells ourselves? Do you want to hear a crazy thing that I've been doing in the mornings now. I want you. I would love to hear it. (laughs) Okay, here it is. So I read this in a self-care book or whatever, and it was talking about speaking to yourself or your inner child almost. Like how you talk to yourself is really how you talk to the little girl or little boy inside of you. So every morning I wake up and the first thing I do before I do anything else, I go to the mirror and I say, good morning. I love you. I hope you slept so nice. Oh, you're going to have a good day. Good job. Like I would to a four-year-old. And it works. You feel like an absolute crazy. Like my husband saw me the other day and he's like, okay. Everything <laughs> okay here? No, but why? I, it is interesting, especially with, I think women and, you know, especially with women, I think there's a, a, a message sometimes of it's not okay to have this authentic and meaningful self um, acknowledgement. Right. And this idea that I love myself, I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know why sometimes the message is um, that it's so hard to say, I love myself. And if you don't love yourself, think about how much, that can lead to conflict in relationships. It can lead to you not prioritizing yourself. Um, it can really lead to this negative thought process that's really not healthy. 
for us, but I think many people struggle with it. And so I really appreciate you, you know, sharing that because I think it is when it's done in an authentic way that really is filling you up and saying like, no, this is the way I'm going to start my morning. Um, I think that's really a beautiful way to say that's self-care. Yeah. <laughs> that's me giving myself a message that I do love myself. I do care about myself. And it takes two seconds and then I'm on with the show and on about my day. It doesn't mean I'm going to absolutely have a fabulous day with no real challenges. Um, I think about that too for our teachers. Like if you have a moment in your day with those kids that you're like, you lay in bed at night and I've done this many times as a teacher. I subbed in kindergarten the other week and had this moment in my bed at night too, where I was reflecting back and thought, man, I wasn't as patient as I really could have been. I feel bad that I had that interaction with that child like that. It's, I don't know his whole story or what, you know, what he's going through. And I have that sense of like, Oof. so I think again, being able to say this happened I recognize that I had this type of behavior, possibly for a variety of reasons, maybe lacking self-care or self-compassion or whatever, but then being able to get up the next day and say, it's a new day. <laughs> Here I come again, coming for you, five-year-olds, I'm coming back. Um, and if I can have my cup filled a little bit, I can start serving those in my community and in my care. I just, I love what you said about the self-compassion and the research behind that. I, I do, I, I've only been doing my crazy lady mirror work for a month, but I have, <laughs> I've noticed, I was like, I do feel a little bit like you talk to that little kid inside you, you would not talk to a four-year-old in a way where you're saying, oh my gosh, you're so lazy, or I can't believe you procrastinated so long on that, or how terrible are you, or you're, you're doing a terrible job of eating. Like you wouldn't talk to a four-year-old like that. So I don't know why we talk to our ourselves that way. So I'm trying to. Yeah, I, think, I think we're just so, for some reason, more comfortable, many of us with the negative bias, right? So it's kind of like you, you have, maybe that day you had a great day in the kindergarten classroom overall, and it was an interaction with one child or a few child that few children that didn't go the way you wanted, but then your mind is attuned to, well, that was not how I wanted to show up with that child in that moment. And so then it really um, is something that your mind will, will focus on, right? Because it's something that didn't happen that was unpleasant. And so I think that's where self-compassion and even acknowledging that you can have these feelings, but you aren't there. They can be momentary, right? Mm -hmm. And what I mean is sometimes we do have feelings that last longer than that moment, but for the most part, what's happening today, like you said, you wake up and, and hopefully it is a new day and a new perspective and that that doesn't define who you are, right? That one interaction isn't who you are as a teacher every single day. Um, and I think if you start to find that that's who you are every day, then that's when it's really important to reach out for some more, you know, support, whatever that might be. If it's talking to a friend, talking to a coworker, or even getting, you know, professional help with a counselor um, or a therapist, that's also self-care. And I think you had asked before, and I didn't really share what are ways to practice self-care generally. Mm -hmm. And it's so varied, as you said, it's, it can be individual, but it can consist of uh, prioritizing quality sleep, for example. Mm -hmm. um, I think one thing they say that's helpful is waking up the same time every day um, is really helpful for your sleep. And there's so much research on sleep <laughs> and how important that is for being able to be 
less stressed and to feel healthy. Like it's just, it's helpful for, for your physical and mental health. Um, it could be modeling boundaries, whatever those boundaries look like. And I had someone say one time that, and again, this isn't for everyone, so it's individual, but I only say yes when it's a full body. Yes. Yes. Otherwise I say no, right? Because we can be asked as helpers, as caring people to, to continue to say yes, yes, yes. And then that's when we start to let go of our priorities for health and wellness. Um, it could be eating healthy foods. It could be taking that walk or just sitting out in fresh air. Being outside has so many benefits for physical and our emotional health. Um, I think sometimes we start to do healthy eating and exercise and the moment you feel deprived or like you're doing it wrong and it starts to be that negative talk, that's when I think it's a good moment to pause and say, how can I engage in this type of wellness and prioritize healthy eating and exercise that doesn't feel like I'm doing it wrong or I'm in deprivation, <laughs> right? Yeah. Cause that's, that's actually not going to be very motivating and something that you want to prioritize. Um, and then I'll just add, I think self care is giving, right? Giving to others and receiving support. Mm. And that can be so important. And we don't, we don't really talk about that because practice of self-care, if you think about it, it's, um, if none of us practice self-care and prioritize our health and wellness, then nobody is healthy and well. Yeah. So it really is about this collective idea of self-care is about our community and and being able to be present and to be able to be more kind and to be able to be more giving and provide that social support to others. But you need to be able to receive it as well and make yes. sure you're prioritizing yourself. And in order to receive, I have to feel worthy to receive. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like in order for me to allow people to help me, which I don't always like, no, I don't <laughs> ask for help. Uh, but when you have to ask for help, you have to feel worthy of it in order to even ask. So it's this whole kind of, uh, I love my biggest takeaway right now, Holly, is how it's about community. And if everyone is sick, <laughs> if we all are lacking in this idea of I'm worthy, I am love, I am able to serve, and I want to be here with a big whole body, yes. If we're all feeling like this kind of just like, bleh, then we aren't able to serve each other, we aren't able to collaborate, we aren't able to get the job done. Um, so I, that's my hugest takeaway from what everything you've said so far, and you've said so many really great things. This is such a good podcast, uh, but the community sense of it and how it's not just on me and it's not, not just uh, something that I must do. So you've, you've shared a lot of good tips. I wanna know, I wanna know what you do. You. Did you write your, talk to us about your research or dissertation a teeny bit, like is self-care what the path you went through when you were earning your degree? Yeah. So as I said, I think, you know, self-care is different for everyone. I actually got immensely burnt out. I have dealt with um, trauma. So self-care for me every day is engaging in spiritual practices that mm. provide my healing, which is really important. Um, it also helps me feel more worthy, right? That's something that I think a lot of people struggle with to say I am important and I'm important for myself. And also because I, you know, having a daughter um, really made me feel like in, in particular for me that I wanted to model that I want, her, I, don't, I don't want her to talk to herself in such a negative way that I found myself doing. And so I find spiritual 
practices are really helpful for me every day for my healing and for my self-care. Um, I also find that I feel the best when I can feel connected to others. So something that's really important to me is reaching out to, to my friends, um, to my family and saying, just how is, how are you, how are you, how are you doing? Are you okay? What can, you know, it doesn't have to be anything huge. It's just acknowledging I'm thinking about you and, and how are things going? And so being really intentional about that is something that I really um, value and I find it supports my emotional well-being. And then, um, you know, just the physical part, I think that's something that I've always let go and it's last on my priority, but it's something that I want to be a priority and is so important, you know, and as you get older, you start to even, at least for me, see the importance of it. And I want to model that to my daughter as well. And to those I work with is that this is also important. So take the time to go for a walk. Um, healthy eating, I notice a difference that when I eat healthier and I drink water, it really does make a difference for my physical health and my mental health. So those are things that I intentionally strive to do every day. And during the pandemic, I let go of the physical health part because I also, as you can see, I really like community and I like being with people for the most part. I also like my, um, my alone time, right. To just think and read a book or, you know, sometimes I'll watch my favorite, um, Netflix show or something like that. But for the most part, I think it's really important to be connected to others. And so the physical health part, you know, went away. And then I um, had some issues with autoimmune things that started Mm -hmm. to happen. And so I was like this, okay, this is my body telling me that I really need to prioritize physical health and wellness. And I do notice a difference um, that it's really, that that's really um, helpful. And then also every day I practice gratitude. And I mean that in a very like authentic, meaningful way is I I really attune to what is it in my life that I'm really grateful for. And sometimes it has to be finding gratitude for those things that, that aren't so pleasant and that are difficult and acknowledging what is this teaching me? Why is this important? You know? And so sometimes I think it helps with a little bit of acceptance. Um, and, and overall, I think all of these practices is what centers me to really be present, which is really important. Um, And back to your question. So one of the things that I really started to do in my research was around practicing mindfulness um, Mm. and also thinking about gratitude. So that would be another one. This compassion that I've talked about for self and others um, is really what I find is helpful every single day as a daily practice for self-care. Yeah, I love what you said about having... (sighs) having the self-compassion, but also modeling for those around you. If you are a leader of a center, a center director, and you are in at 5.30 a.m. and you stay till 6 p.m. every day, you are fried, you are not drinking your water, you're not taking care of yourself, you're not going to your appointments um, that are health-related that you need to, again, and then you want to have your staff feel grounded and balanced and use gratitude, but they're seeing what you're doing. It's just this whole, like, I love what you're saying about how, gosh, it is a journey and it's not always easy. It really is. It's really not. Even when you mentioned the gratitude part, I, for a while, I was so consistent on doing three things every day that I was grateful for. I would write them in a journal and then I found like an app that you could put them on in the app and that was fun. But then it started feeling like a chore 
And I was like, this doesn't feel good anymore. So now it is no longer part of what is giving me joy or filling up my cup. So I'm, I'm not going to have this have to, but you're making me reflect and think back to that time when it was joyful. And now I feel like I need to start doing that again, because I did enjoy it when it was authentic and when it felt real to me when I wasn't just like, uh, I don't know, I'm grateful that I got to go to Target like that. And maybe I was, but maybe I was just trying to think of something to be able to write on my little journal. And I think that's so important that whatever it is, and maybe it changes during different seasons of your life, mm-hmm. it looks it looks different, but it's so up to you to what is it that fills you up. And there is a difference between I think, at least for me, for sure, self-care and self-sabotage. Do you know what I mean by self-sabotage? What, talk to us a teeny bit about self-sabotage versus (laughs) self-care. Well, I'd be interested to know how you're thinking about it and juxtaposition to self-care. Yeah, sure. Okay, here's how I'm thinking about it. I'll be totally open and honest with it. There are some days when I will come home from teaching or working in the field or doing whatever, and it's been a long day and it was a hard day and I'm making dinner and that's a crazy time of the day too. And I will open up the wine and have a little glass of wine and feel like I'm just going to relax and have a little, a little calling cocktail hour for a little minute here. And it sometimes will feel okay and make me recharged. But then during the pandemic, when it was hard and this change fatigue and unknown and stress and all these things, it became a very consistent part of my routine and no longer felt like self-care and felt more like what I know better than this. This is now self-sabotage and is not something I'm using or even using donuts as an example. On Sundays, we get donuts. But if I have a donut every morning of the week, that no longer feels special or like self-care. It feels like self-sabotage. Talk, talk to us about yeah, that. No. Thinking the right way with that. No, that's exactly. I mean, I think that I, I would assume, and the research would actually support this too, that most people have this experience where it's essentially identifying a way where we can cope with mm. stressors, right? We all, we have stressors every day. So I, there's not one person who's not going to have some kind of stress, you know, for the most part in the day. And some of them are more chronic and significant, but we all have stress. And so we need to be taught strategies for how to, um, in healthy, adaptive, effective ways, deal with stress. And so what can happen sometimes is when we cope with you know, having that glass of wine, it's like, yeah, once in a while that feels fine. And maybe it's one glass when it becomes a situation where it's like, you know, you're in the morning and you're like, I just can't wait for my glass of wine, which I heard mm-hmm. a lot of friends um, that I actually worked with that said, I couldn't wait until about five, yep. maybe even four o'clock where I just needed something to help me get through the day. And so then it became something where it wasn't, it's not because I'm having that because it's a joyful situation. It's that I'm just coping and this is the way that I'm going to start coping. Um, and similarly, it could be like for me, I can't really eat gluten, right? But I just love bread. So I love to bake it. I like to have bread. And so then I started this process of like, oh, in the moment, it feels really good. And I'll have this bread. But then later on, my body is telling me that was a horrible, awful idea. So it becomes a cycle where you're like, this is actually, like you said, self-sabotage in the way that it, in the long term, it doesn't help me feel better. But in that moment, it might be something that's just helping me feel a little less stressed. And so I think it's important to identify those self-care practices that 
help you in the long run, if that makes sense, totally. rather than those like in the moment, you know, situations, it could be the same as someone, um, you know, talking about social media. So I actually um, do not have Facebook anymore because I found I wasn't very great at having boundaries around reading what was going on with my family all the time and thinking about the stressful situations that they were going through or friends, you know, and like you start having this social comparison. Well, I'm not as good as, as my friend over here, look what all they're doing. And so um, that can also be a form of like that self-sabotage, right? Like you're getting on social media and then you feel more depressed (laughs) afterwards. So, yeah. So I think it's important to identify, I guess, coping, we would say active coping or supportive coping strategies that help you in the long run feel, feel good. And, and I don't think we talk enough about, the importance of having joy, like self-care can also be, you know, I said it could be difficult, but it also can be those moments of, of being outside and, you know, sitting by a tree and just having joy. Or if it, if it brings you joy to take a moment to pause and, and sit with your child at night, you know, without any expectations for anything. And just, that's what I do with my daughter. And sometimes we just lay on the bed and she starts having a conversation and I really relish those moments, you know, without expectation. So I, I don't think we talked enough about how to have joy and I notice in other cultures, other people that I work with, like in Brazil and some other places, the priority is family. The mm. priority is that joy. And I, I just don't see that, you know, as often. Sometimes we're such a do more, do more yes. society, be productive. And I think that takes away from our priority of health and wellness. Absolutely. Do more, be more, compare more, fight more. Yeah, yes, all of those things. I love that you mentioned social media as having boundaries with that instead of being on there and comparing myself to someone else's fake version of their best self. I even remember when the kids were little, little, I would, and social media was just becoming a thing. I would like kick all the toys out of the shot and then take their beautiful little picture where before, if I would have just taken what it was, the kitchen would have been trashed and toys everywhere and they would have been fighting and not even want me to take their picture and let alone. So it's just this idea of being more mindful, being present Mm -hmm. and being compassionate and kind, I think are such good takeaways that I hope our listeners are hearing. So I want to give you one final little uh, moment, Holly, just talk to us about any last words of wisdom about self-care that you really want people to kind of take home with them. Yeah. I think one more message about self-care that is important to me is that, um, you know, as, as I teach mindfulness and some of these other practices, people have said, and I think this is a good point is that, is it to pacify me? Is it to make Mm -hmm. me quiet to things that might be um, not okay, the things I need to speak up about? And there's been many activists who say, if you don't prioritize self-care, then you can't advocate for yourself. So Mm -hmm. I think it's important to also think about that it's really not selfish and that it's not a way to just say, do a mindful breathing activity, for example, to deal with your stress and then everything's gonna be okay. It's the idea that if I can be more regulated, I can be less stressed, I'm more healthy and well, then I can be better at advocating for those bigger needs, right? To support my my health and wellness. So I think that's important too, is that in order to advocate, in order to make changes, right? If I'm a family home provider and I need to have these changes in place to do the work I wanna do, it's important to be healthy and well to be able to advocate in a way that's going to lead to change. 
Oh, that's such a good message to end us with. I love that. Self-care is not selfish. If you want to advocate for yourself and for the sweet babies and families in your care, you have to have self-care first. Uh, Holly, I could have a whole nother, like, I hope you'll come back. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> it, was, it was a really nice conversation. It was. I so appreciate you joining and sharing all your little tidbits of wisdom with us. This was fun. And thank you everyone for spending quality time with us. Please join us again in the future as we talk about more topics to provide Nebraskan providers support on their journey with Step Up to Quality. Until next time, bye-bye.